0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. We were intending to uh, have a vacation week this week and that's not what happened um, because events in Afghanistan demand that we get back together, uh, talk about what's going on there and where that leads. Uh, very glad to have, uh, of course, our, 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 our usual panelists this week, uh, including from California, Corey Shaki of the American Enterprise Institute. Hi, Corey. Hello, David. And at some unknown location, Rosa Brooks of Georgetown Law School. How are you, Rosa?
1: I'm very well, David. I'm in South Dakota, somewhere near the, the Corn Palace.
0: Um, well, yeah, I, I, that sounds like a secure location. It <laughs> sounds like Rosa <laughs> is scouting missile silos once again. Um, and we are <laughs> glad to be joined today. Uh, by our friend from the Harvard Kennedy School, professor there, uh, Stephen Waltz, how are you today?
2: I'm just fine,
0: how are you? Good. Um, I have uh, a, a sort of, in my mind, a conversation that's got three questions in it. The first question is, what's your reaction to what's going on right now in Afghanistan? The second question is, what should the Biden administration do now, given what's going on in Afghanistan? And the third question is, what are the lessons that we can take from our experience, uh, not just of the past week, but of the past 20 years? So I'm gonna start with the first one. We'll go around to the whole group and, uh, and see if we can go to all three questions in the course of the time that we've got. Let me start with you, Corey. Uh, what's your reaction to what you're seeing on the ground right now in Afghanistan?
3: It is breaking my heart, David because this was not only um, anticipatable, it was anticipated. Um, And the cost to prevent this outcome by sustaining a relatively favorable uh, correlation of forces in Afghanistan, even if you had to sustain it for a very long time, while you construct the political culture and institutions to make Afghanistan a less corrupt, more representative, more stable state, was I believe worth it. Um, And I think the criticism of Afghan security forces collapsing should show you how much even a little bit of American involvement makes a difference in other people's calculations of their outcomes. Uh, because, you know, 2,500 American troops, it was what, 8,000 NATO troops overall. So allies were doing the majority of the work, not us. And Afghans had heart to continue fighting and trying to improve their society when before we had abandoned them. Uh, So it um it breaks my heart to see the video of Afghans trying to rush and hold on to the wheels of American airplanes taking off from the airport because they're so desperate to get out of the country. So and we're having to rush 7,000 combat troops to Afghanistan only to evacuate our own civilians who are being told to shelter in place because the administration uh, believes that, the, uh, that if we're ferrying people by helicopter from downtown Kabul at the embassy to the airport, that the helicopters might get shot down.
0: Rosa, what's your reaction to what's going on right now on the ground?
1: I share Corey's sense of just, you know, just feeling really heartbroken. Uh-huh. It's appalling. I mean, we are the, the manner of our departure is creating just tremendous human suffering, and, and I do think a good deal of it was was preventable. Um, and you know, it just it just you know it makes me feel s- just sick watching the the footage of people trying to grab onto the wings of planes, and uh, you know, because make no mistake about it, a lot of these people are going to die. That they're going to be killed, um, um, you know, I think the only the only place where I disagree with Corey, I, so so I absolutely think we could have managed this much differently. you know i I think Biden was white was was correct to think okay time time to go from Afghanistan, but I don't think it needed to be this rapid. <laughs> you know, I don't think it would have made any particular you know, the, the sort of setting September eleventh as the arbitrary symbolic date. Um, I think it was just a mistake. Obviously, we've ended up leaving even faster. Um, I think, I think, I think a carefully planned withdrawal over the course of the next year or so, you know, with plans in place to get particularly vulnerable people out, um, you know, so that we don't have this incredibly both heartbreaking and, and embarrassing scramble to evacuate people at the last instant, which which we know will not be fully successful you know that I don't it's it is a little bit mind boggling to me why why this incredible rush had to take place as opposed to a, a more a more a little bit more of a staged wind down and I don't quite know which institution well I mean maybe we'll get to this later I I want to blame most right It's sort of state department for not processing requests for Visas to the U.S. quickly enough, and not making those plans—is it the military, you know, is it the intelligence community for saying, "Oh no, 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 everything's okay"? You know, yeah, the Taliban will probably eventually take over, but that'll take a couple of years. Don't worry. I, you know, I don't know. Um, But, but it is pretty heartbreaking. The, the only area where I differ from Corey um, is that I, Corey, I think I don't remember your exact words, but something along the lines of, you know, we could have kept a very small troop presence there, more or less indefinitely, at very low cost. Uh, While we continue to try to, you know, construct, be constructing the political culture that would enable us eventually to leave with no, you know, catastrophic effects. I, I think it, I don't think we had any hope of constructing such a political culture. You know, I, I think is there in some completely theoretical sense, would it be possible you know, could some country with enough money and enough time, getting it all right, do that? Maybe I don't know, but I'm quite sure that having had 20 years to do it and having screwed it up for 20 years, that one more year, two more years, three more years, uh, we weren't going to do it. In the next few years, um, I, you know, so I think I think my goal would have been much more modest. Not not any not any illusions that we're going to fundamentally change or construct. Uh, a brand new, much more healthy Afghan political culture, but simply uh, a a withdrawal that was managed a bit more carefully and staged a bit more carefully so as not to cause the immediate political and humanitarian catastrophe that is unfolding
2: right now. Steve. Well, my view, I guess, is closer to Rosa's than, than Corey's. I mean, I share the widespread sense that this is tragic. Uh, And one can only sort of feel enormous sympathy for the people who are already suffering and are going to suffer, suffer in the future. Uh, And I do fault the Biden administration for not having uh, orchestrated this uh, once they made the, in my view, correct strategic uh, decision to disengage. It seems to me at that point, you know, the first thing that uh, President Biden should have told his team is our top priority is to make sure that something like we are now seeing doesn't happen. Uh, that that has to be the absolute top priority, and therefore we need to have this happen in a relatively orchestrated, uh, careful way. Uh, and that clearly wasn't done. Obviously, some of the other points Rosa made about you know, expediting visas for Afghans who were obviously at risk, given their collaboration with us, et cetera, uh, was, should have been part of the plan from the get-go. And of course, a, a really interesting question is, well, why did the Biden administration assume that they had you know 12 to 18 months, uh, as opposed to what we've seen, what was the intelligence, what were the professional appraisals they were getting about the robustness of the Afghan security forces, at least in the short term? Um, where I disagree with Corey is whether or not, you know, we could have just kept this one going at a low cost, uh, forever. I mean, I think this idea of, uh, transforming Afghan political culture in a fundamental way, was a fool's errand from the beginning. And it's worth remembering that the Taliban haven't been making gains for just the last six weeks or the last six months, they've been making gains for the last 10 years, um, Uh, Well, the United States was still there, still conducting air operations, still providing training and support for the Afghan military as well. So it was a question of whether or not this was going to be a slow collapse or uh, a rapid collapse. And then my third uh, sort of big reaction to all of this is uh, wanting to do more of a postmortem on the way in which our campaign there for the last 20 years has been described to the American people by uh, civilian leaders from both parties and by senior military commanders who repeatedly told us that progress was being made, that we were winning, that the Afghan security forces were getting better and better and better, uh, and that we were eventually going to be able to leave the country in their hands. Uh, and I think we now understand uh, that that happy talk was all wrong, and in fact, we really knew that uh, because, you know, the Washington Post uh, a couple of years ago released a whole set of internal documents that showed that inside the Pentagon, they knew this was not going nearly as well as they were talking about it uh, in public. Um, so that's the third part of my reaction to this is um, I think this is a, a widespread, widely shared, uh, you know, failure of the national security establishment going back a long way and unfortunately uh, continued under President Biden.
3: So, David, can I respond to quickly to two things Stephen said? The first is that, you know, the Taliban were picking up ground and and that shows this was not succeeding. The reason the Taliban were picking up ground was because we had shifted the fighting of the war to the Afghan military that we were training. And so and they were getting a lot better over time. So, yes, the Taliban made gains, but the Afghan military was bearing more and more responsibility. In fact, complete responsibility in most instances for the fighting. And with our assistance, they were holding their own against the Taliban and improving over time. So I think it's I I don't think it's fair to make an assessment that this was uh, unwinnable because the Taliban had picked up uh, some gains in some places. The second thing is that you know it, it war is a political undertaking, and uh, when you abandon people, you shouldn't expect them to make brave choices. Uh, and so to to suggest that the Afghan security forces you know, just ought to have the courage to fight, which is not what Stephen has said, but what is what President Biden has said. That is so insulting to a force that has lost 69,000 soldiers and police over the course of the last several years. And when you're looking down the barrel of of what they were looking down, you know, all of us should ask ourselves, honestly, whether we would make any different choices, because most of us wouldn't.
2: Corey, I have a question for you then, uh, which is simply, uh, you know, why are the Taliban so good at fighting and the people we've been supporting for 20 years so bad? Uh, you know, the Taliban have not had the benefit of American air support. They've not had the benefit of American military training. They have not had the benefit of American advanced weaponry. And they seem to be willing to fight and die for their country. And the people we've been backing aren't. So I don't quite get this one. You know, the, I, I
3: don't think it's true that the people we've been backing have been Unwilling to fight for their country, right? The Afghan National Security Forces are volunteers and they have continued to volunteer when 69,000 of them have been killed, um, many of them killed by assassination or by murder of families, which is, you know, what the Taliban are trying to do is an easier task than keeping the entire country safe at all times. And so, that's why they have picked up some ground because we have to win everywhere all of the time and they don't and so i i do think it's an inaccurate assessment of the afghan security forces either that they wouldn't fight or they didn't have the ability to do it
0: if i could just add a a, a personal point of view here before we get on to the next question i i think as you, as you guys know i'm i'm a little bit more sympathetic with the view Rosa, and particularly the view that Steve has supported here, and I would just point out a couple of things. One, we went in um, in 2001. By 2004, um, the Taliban announced their counteroffensive. By 2016, it was the estimate of the US general in charge that the Taliban were in control of um, uh, between 10 and 20% of the country and that another twenty six percent, which is a I find kind of one of those astonishing points of assessment where you know where it's that specific, but he said the next twenty six percent were being contested. So five years ago, uh, something in the neighborhood of a third to forty percent of the country was already under Taliban um, control. This was predictable for a long time, and as all of you remember, In 2009, the Obama administration began with an Afghan review. uh, And one of the highlights of that behind the scenes was the vice president of the United States, Joe Biden, saying 12 years ago that it was time to get out. And while we talk about this precipitous fall, uh, I think it's been clear that we've been headed in this direction for a long time. And uh, as I may have mentioned on a recent show, uh, I happened by accident to come across. Um, an article that I had written in 2010 saying that the effort in Afghanistan was uh, futile and that we were not going to achieve our goals and that the Taliban were going to end up in charge. Within a couple of days, uh, there was a counter argument being made. uh, uh, Somebody else wrote an article saying Rothkoff is wrong on Afghanistan. I'm not saying this to say I told you so. I'm saying that 12 years ago, it was pretty apparent to a lot of people, that we were likely to end up in this place. Uh, but, but you know, we can talk about blame, we can talk about uh, all we want. The reality is, clearly, the end of this uh, chapter, this 20-year chapter, is extremely ugly, extremely unfortunate, and heartbreaking. And I think we all agree on that. Corey, If you're giving advice to the Biden administration right now, if you're giving advice to state or the NSC, what should they be doing now? Uh, Where where should their focus be?
3: Their focus should be first and foremost, humanitarian. So assisting people to uh, get out of the country and not just American interpreters, but journalists, people um, who are going to be at high risk under Taliban control. Second, uh, giving it, funneling a huge amount of money and support to NGOs that are doing that same thing, because assisting Afghans directly now is going to paint targets on them, uh, given the policy decisions the administration's also made. So trying to uh, get intermediaries able to give assistance that won't further endanger Afghans by association with the United States. Um, Get control of the airport uh, so that you can get people out of the country. Um, uh, Stop saying in public the disgraceful things like Jay Sullivan just said, on the news, which is no amount of more effort of two or five years would make any difference. This is Afghan's fault uh, because not only is that untrue, uh, but it also is increasing the political damage to the United States because others who rely on American security cooperation are looking at the choices we're making in Afghanistan and, and wondering whether that's what we're gonna to do to them. So stop playing the immediate politics of dis- defending decisions in Afghanistan and think about how this is gonna to look to South Koreans and others. And uh, then figure out, uh, is there any way we can influence Taliban decisions about their uh, what they do internal to the government of Afghanistan? And here's a spoiler, suggesting that we will withhold aid to them if they continue to murder uh, people who uh, were involved on our side of the war is an insufficient disincentive. Um, so we need to think a lot more seriously about who has the ability to have any influence with the Taliban and and what can we uh, give the Chinese or others so that they may be able to influence a little more restraint on the Taliban, than because we're not going to have any influence over it.
0: Excellent point, Rosa.
1: So I basically agree with what Corey just said. I, you know, one thing I would add to the sort of debate between Corey and Steve about, well, you know, um, could we have succeeded? You know, in our in our the most ambitious of the aims we've articulated over the last couple of decades, could we could we have stabilized things? Could we, uh, you know, with another three years or five years? I, you know, I think the, I think the it's not so much that you're I think you're wrong, Corey, in the in a totally hypothetical sense. I mean, again, I think I think the answer sort of in the abstract would be if we were willing to commit infinite resources. And had total political will, you know, might things have been different in 2010, might things have been different in 2016, might things be different today or in five years or 10 years from now? Yeah, maybe so. But the reality is that we, really from the very beginning, uh, 2001, we were profoundly ambivalent about what we wanted to achieve in Afghanistan. We were inconsistent, uh, you know, ranging from, oh, we just want to get rid of Al Qaeda. To okay, we're going to bring democracy, uh, peace, stability, human rights, to various things in between. Um, you know, we we kind of waffled back and forth about what we wanted, and after that initial, the initial military successes of 2001, we never matched the resource commitment or political will commitment to the rhetorical claims about what we were trying to achieve. Um, so in a sense, to me, it's sort of irrelevant whether in the abstract, if the U.S. was willing to commit sufficient resources and time and so on to Afghanistan, could things be better? Could they be transformed? You know, maybe, but we never were willing to do that. And I can't, I can't imagine realistically that we ever would be, will be, et cetera. So, so to me, that's the reason to just say it, it, it was not, it wasn't going to happen. Um, but that being said, I, I think Corey is absolutely right. The sort of, oh, it's all the Afghan military's fault and why won't they fight? All that stuff is 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 both insulting and sort of profoundly misunderstands the sort of complicated web of incentives and relationships and so on that that people who volunteer for the Afghan military were facing, you know, that they're being rational actors Um And I I absolutely agree with Corey. I seriously doubt that any of us would would do any better. It's not an issue, I think, of, you know, incompetence in the sort of sense of, you know, they're no dumber, or less skilled than anybody else. Uh, But they have very sensibly, for the most part, said, you know, this is a fool's errand we're on. And so as long as we calculate that the risks you know, are sufficiently outweighed by the benefits. We'll keep doing it, but you know, at whatever point, and clearly we, we, we saw we reached that point in this last week. At whatever point it becomes clear to us that the U.S. is is going to leave us to hang hanging us out to dry, we're not going to do it anymore because it's crazy. We'll just get slaughtered, and there's no point. And and I think that that's how could we expect them to say anything other than that. I I also very much would urge my many friends now in the Biden administration. Just not try to put a positive spin on any of this and not go starting to blame everybody else. I mean, I just think it's, I, I think that the only, the only thing that anyone in the Biden administration should be saying um, would be to be very, very honest, to say, yeah, this is awful. You know, we didn't expect this to happen and we're going to be taking a hard look at ourselves to try to understand why we miscalculated, um, how the speed with which things would collapse. Um, we made our plans based on, a different assessment. And we're going to, you know, we are absolutely going to be examining why we were so wrong. But in the meantime, this is tragic. Um, you know, we do absolutely think if we needed to withdraw, but, but you know, if we had realized how rapidly things would collapse, we would have done things very, very differently. And right now we're going to do our hardest to mitigate damage uh, and all the things that Corey just said in terms of humanitarian assistance, mostly through NGOs, in terms of expediting evacuations, of visas for a very large group of people, et cetera.
2: Steve. Well, in the short term, I agree with what's already been said, that the uh, administration wants to be honest, it wants to be humble, it wants to admit what it got wrong, and it wants to focus uh, in the near term on doing what it can to mitigate uh, the humanitarian issues that are now uh, Im- imminent and, uh, and apparent, you know, whenever you turn on the television. Uh, if I were to say sort of now in medium term to longer term, you know, and somewhat cynically, right, what the Biden administration will want to do is change the subject. Uh, and, you know, that's not entirely uh, cynical because there are a whole lot of other important domestic and foreign policy items that are on the agenda. And it would be a mistake to uh, be so uh, now preoccupied with what has happened in Afghanistan that you lose sight of all the other things that need to be addressed, whether it's China, whether it's climate change, whether it's the ongoing pandemic, whether it's the rest of the domestic agenda. So in a sense, you know, if I were advising Biden, I would say, look, you gotta own up to the situation we're facing here in, in the short term, as has already been described, but you can't allow this to blow your uh, completely off course for the next six months or so. Um, the second thing I would say is, uh, and this is more in the realm of diplomacy, The administration will want to distinguish this situation from its relations with others. Uh, it wants to be able to tell its allies why the situation that happened in Afghanistan is not like the situation facing South Korea. It's not like the situation uh, with the United States and NATO. It's not like the uh, situation even with the United States and Taiwan. Uh, that in fact, you know, having uh, been surprised by the rapid collapse of uh, a government that we had supported for 20 years, that's not the same as saying we wouldn't back uh, the you know cohesive patriotic well-armed uh, South Koreans if they got into a crisis uh, with North Korea and it's not saying that we wouldn't be thinking uh, about our own interests in the balance of power in Asia and therefore would come to the aid of Taiwan and so we want to be able to go around to allies who may be wondering what this means and remind them that you know the situation in Afghanistan was in some respects uh, in some respects unique and then finally um, I think the Biden administration over the medium to longer term wants to try and make this somebody else's problem, right? This is a a nice thing to to get the Chinese involved in trying to deal with the Taliban and sort out uh, what's going on in Afghanistan. It's uh, something that ought to be a problem now for Pakistan in ways it wasn't. Uh, It's something of a problem for Iran now in in ways that it wasn't. And in a sense, if the United States uh, isn't there with its finger in the dike, Uh, This may turn out to have some geopolitical advantages over the over the longer term. That doesn't, to me at least, mitigate the humanitarian issue that's in front of us. But if I were advising Biden, I would say you want to get out of this with the least damage possible for the United States.
3: Can I reinforce what an important and positive point Steve made about making sure Allies understand that there's a distinction between the limits of our interests in Afghanistan and the expanse of our interests in other places. I think that's a really powerful point, Steve.
0: It is. An, it is a powerful point. I just wanted to actually say, and and I again, I offer this just simply as point of context, and we'll move on. But uh, the message that is being sent to our allies is not exclusively being sent by the current events in. Afghanistan. First of all, the prior administration had said it wanted to leave Afghanistan earlier than this and more abruptly in December of 2018. uh, In fact, President Trump in the Oval Office said he wanted to pull out and shut down the embassy um, right away. And of course, the deal that they signed uh, had an earlier expiration date and more for the Taliban. He also um, talked about changing our relationship um, with uh, NATO. Um, and, uh, you know, we have seen uh, issues of, of of U.S. sort of uncertain relationships with our allies that go back further than that. Trump, of course, abandoned the Kurds. Um, uh, the U.S. didn't back certain groups. We had backed before in Syria under o- Obama pulled out of Iraq. Uh, in a way that was a problem for some people back then as well, we could go on. But the point is, this is not the only data point, even if it is occupying all our bandwidth right at this moment. Um, So we've only got about 10 minutes. Uh, So that's three minutes each. And of course, it's the biggest question. Uh, We've been in Afghanistan 20 years. Uh, I would say that there is a fair case to be made that every American administration over the course of the 20 years Uh, has made big mistakes. Um, uh, So what's a lesson or two that you hope we take away from the Afghanistan experience, Corey?
3: I think there are three crucial lessons. And the first is that if you are going to have expansive political goals, you actually need to adequately resource them. Militarily and in the non military elements of strategy. We never did that in Afghanistan. And that's part of the reason it was such a slog. Um, You know, there were other potential strategies we could have taken in Afghanistan to the one we took. We never resourced the one we took. Um, And that is, you know, that is an enormous part of the failure. Second big lesson for me is that tactical military operations do not constitute a strategy. Uh, and we have both in Iraq and Afghanistan over in n- limited tactical military success that doesn't add up to anything else, because we haven't, we don't have a balanced strategy, we haven't thought carefully about what it's going to take to achieve our aims. A third lesson, I think, is the difficulty of creating change. As everybody else on this call has pointed out in earlier interventions today, I think another lesson uh, is um, that the United States acts like it's the only important strategic actor We never, for example, have acknowledged how much uh, NATO and other allies have been contributing to this. I guess another lesson would be, you can't expect the American public to continue to support a war that the political leaders won't bother to invest in talking to the American public about. All of the last four administrations have been deficient in that undertaking and maybe i'll just stop there because i'm talking myself into despondency david
0: it's all it sounds very uh sensible and wise to me rosa
1: i agree with everything Corey said except i might reformulate um we have to properly resource uh uh we have to have sufficient resources to support whatever our political goals are, I would probably reformulate that as it's better to underpromise and overperform. I think we consistently overpromise and underperform, and there's a enormous political cost to that, as well as very often a human cost to that. Uh, you know that that I think our our ability to reshape other nations in ways that we choose is is even best case, you know, properly resourced, whatever that might happen to be in a given situation, even best case uh, is, is very limited you know that that because because people are complicated because as Corey said, changing things is, is hard uh, because we usually do not have the degree of local knowledge that would enable us to you know be smart about it um, you know and and I think that we need to be a whole lot more humble about what we are likely even best case fully resourced scenario to be able to accomplish. And part of that humility should be recognizing that our, our track record of fully, fully resourcing uh, our various efforts is abysmal. And therefore, you know, it's the sort of definition of sanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result uh, rather than saying, oh, yes, but this time, whatever the next time happens to be, uh, you know, there shouldn't ideally be a next time, but, but, you know, rather than telling ourselves, oh, but this time it's all going to be different. This time we're going to fully resource it. This time we're going to do it right. We probably would be much better off saying we're bad at it. We've been bad at it. We'll probably continue to be bad at it. So let's really focus on, you know, what is the, what are the smaller things that we can do in a really short time time timeframe, you know, six months or so, that we're confident that we can do, that we will do, and that leave things better off than when we started. Uh, And if we can't say that, we probably should be doing whatever we're doing in the first place.
2: Steve? This will be a variation on the themes that have already been advanced. Um, So first, you know, we have to think much more carefully before we get involved in a commitment uh, like this one. Uh, It is much easier to get into one of these things than it is to get out uh, and I'm always struck by a statement made by, I believe, Douglas Lute, who was the NSC coordinator for Afghan strategy, a three-star uh, general, retired, who said, you know, we got into this without the foggiest idea of the undertaking we had uh, engaged in. Uh, and I think he, he was right. Uh, second, as both Corey and Rosa have said, you know, social engineering of this kind is extraordinarily hard to do. Uh, we have enough trouble now managing our own democracy here in the United States and making it work, the idea that we were going to turn a poor, mostly illiterate, uh, ethnically divided and conflict-torn society into a liberal democracy in short order was hubris of a very uh, high order. I think that's something where Americans are prone to. We have sort of a can-do attitude. If we just try hard and pour enough money into something, uh, we'll solve it. But I'm not sure that this was doable at all uh, at sort of any level of resources because the whole activity is sort of rife with internal tensions and contradictions. You need to pour money into the place to rebuild it, uh, et cetera, but you pour money into the place that can't absorb it and you just fuel more corruption, which makes the leading officials less popular. Uh, To go there and operate, you have to bring uh, supplies into Pakistan, which means you can't pressure Pakistan to stop supporting the Taliban and so on and and so forth. But, yeah, I think an argument can be made that this was just a bridge too far from the very beginning. And then my third comment sort of summarizes all of this just by saying, you know, you're looking back, the, uh, the old Powell Doctrine is looking better and better. Uh, that the United States should not, in fact, be committing uh, forces in the field for any kind of major undertaking until unless it's really thought carefully about whether there's a vital interest at stake, whether there is uh, public support behind it, whether the resources are present and whether there's a clear exit strategy in view. Uh, And if those conditions and a few others aren't met, Maybe that's a good sign that you should think of something else to do uh, instead. So the Powell Doctrine is looking pretty good to me today.
0: These are all good pieces of advice. If I can add a couple that strike me listening to it. One, which is kind of a reflection of everything you've said. I think we need to hold our national superpower hubris in check. We can't just do everything because we're the richest and most powerful nation on earth. And certainly of all the things that we want to do, US military is not necessarily the best tool to do those things. Probably if we're drawing conclusions from this in addition to all the good ones you've drawn, probably a good idea that if you give yourself a nearly impossible ill-defined task not to enter a war with Iraq at the same time. You know, not not to not to try to do something else that is massive costly and a distraction. And uh, that's something that we've done. I suspect one of the lessons that we're going to learn or one of the things that's going to result from this is going to be one of those periodic reassessments of our military leadership. We, we sort of ebb and flow after Vietnam. there was a lot of doubt of the military leadership and a lot of self-doubt and re-examination. We then went through a period where we didn't question military leaders we kind of exalted them to a level that no human could achieve there were a lot of bad military judgments made in afghanistan a lot of misassessments a lot of ass covering plans and uh, same with political leaders of course but we all know that on political leaders and i think we're going to we're going to have to reassess that as well you know honestly i think all of you three are providing the kind of wise, thoughtful takes that I think we need at a moment like this one. I hope the administration is listening from my knowledge of the people in the administration. They are tortured by what is happening right now, personally. They didn't expect this. There, there, there was a very, you know, had, had they been briefed, this was going to happen. This is not the way this would have been planned out or executed.
3: I don't know, David. No. Um, if they're feeling tortured, they should be. This was a predictable outcome.
0: No, no. I think that, well, the question is what's predictable. Is it predictable that the Taliban would be back in charge of Afghanistan? Yeah, that's been predictable for 10 years. Uh, was it predictable that that was going to be ugly when it happened? Yeah, that was predictable. I think what they were thinking was they were going to leave. And that that would happen sufficiently far after they left that there would not be seen the direct connection there is right now um and uh and that is where we got it wrong, you know um that is where they were told they had months and they they had days and um uh now could somebody have predicted that we only had days perhaps um uh but uh but that's You know, I mean, from what I'm hearing, that's how the planning process went. In any event, I'm sure there'll be a lot of scrutiny of that to go. Uh, This is a very rough week, very important week uh, for uh, US foreign policy, uh, both in terms of execution, planning and introspection. I'm really glad we could all talk today. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, as events warrant, we'll do more. Go to the dsrnetwork.com for information about that. And uh, if you like what we're doing, of course, click on membership and try to support it. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, everybody. Bye bye.